Well, welcome back, Northies. Uh, we are very excited to have you this morning. Uh, we are in our seventh week of the series we've titled Joy Comes in the Morning, and it is a study of the book of Philippians. And I am so convinced and still convinced that uh, this is a really kind of like spirit led series that uh, is so timely for the church. So like I said, we're going through the book of Philippians and we re- remember that Paul actually wrote this book that is known as the kind of like book of joy in the Bible. He wrote this letter to the to the people of Philippi uh, while he was actually sitting in chains in a Roman prison. And so while we're kind of walking through a time where uh, we're seeing the world go through not only Um, a global pandemic, but also going through these really interesting times of division and injustice and disease and all of these things. Uh, I feel like it's super important now that we all, all take this call to rejoice despite our circumstances super seriously. And I love how Paul starts this passage in chapter three, verse one. He starts by saying, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. And I just feel like how accurate is this for our series right now? Like I said, we're in week seven and it's like, yes, we're talking to you about joy again. And the Bible is telling us to rejoice again. And, you know, we as the church and um, as Christians and whatever, we don't mind doing this forever because um, until we all start getting it, and that is like, all of us as the church of Christians, once we all start understanding or until we all start understanding that joy is not just a feeling or an emotion, but it's actually a posture in which we find ourselves when we praise the God who is with us. And that it's not just something that's attached to the circumstances around us, but true joy, biblical joy is rooted in the reality of the resurrection and it transcends brokenness. And until then, we will keep telling you like Paul did, that my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. And then straight after these words, Paul throws out some kind of harsh words to the like religious or about the religious people of the day. And these people are still kind of seeing these all of these different kinds of people from all different walks of life who are becoming Christians and following Jesus. Uh, But these people are still trying to reason with them that Being right with God or being seen by God requires us to actually do certain things and to tick certain boxes and even like earn our way into the kingdom of heaven and into the kind of like good books of God and to be circumcised under the old covenant. And so he continues on to say, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers and those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if somebody else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And what Paul is saying here, that if anyone of that time could think that they could earn their way into God's good books, it was actually him. You know, because he goes on to list these four ways that he was born into being worthy according to the law. And then he lists another three ways which he lived his life by choice to earn God's righteousness or to tick those boxes or to get in the good books of the kingdom of heaven. And he says of himself, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Eighth day, I was of the people of Israel in the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law, a Pharisee. And as for zeal, persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
And but whatever we gains to me now, or whatever we gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. And I may gain that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so... There's a lot of big words there and a lot of big ideas, but pretty much in today's context, we can kind of see that as Paul was the guy who had it all. And Paul was the guy who ticked all the boxes and who did all the things. Paul was the guy. He came from a a family of privilege. He He had popularity of the people. He had this great community around him. He had done all of the right things since he was a child. And he lived this perfect life. And yet now he's looking back, not from a place that we see as like the typical aftershot. But he's reflecting on this time of his life from a point of view where he is sitting in chains on a, on a prison floor and he's saying, oh, my old life, when I had it all, when I was doing all things, oh, I count that as filth now compared to the joy I have. And it feels like Paul has this bigger picture perspective that so accurately depicts what it means to have that incomparable joy that the word of God and that Jesus offers us. And I feel like we would all love to have a perspective like that in all areas of our life. And yet I feel like so much of our fleshly nature, like we're seeing in here, those, you know, those dogs and those evildoers and those mutilators of the flesh. So easily we kind of come back to that place where uh, we succumb to the fleshly desires of our heart and we can't really um, chase or attain that biblical joy with that bigger perspective of things. And it kind of makes me think of our year 12 students who this week finished school forever. And, you know, for the last 13 years or so, school has been everything for them. And that is not or it should not be an exaggeration. You know, it's been this one continuous place where skills are learned, like reading and writing and friendships are formed, understanding relationships are kind of formed, people's purpose and identities are built there. And in the mix of all of this crazy changing hormones that teenagers go through, we kind of expect school age students to live for this long in these fish bowls where everything is so all um, consuming and there is there feels like there's nothing outside of it. And we actually expect them to come out like wise and well balanced humans. And, you know, a lot of people who know me know that this was actually a big part of my story. And, you know, I continue to have to unlearn behaviors and things that I uh, learned at school. But I was so kind of emerged in what I was doing and who I was perceived to be and how I was measuring up that I actually failed to have any concept of this bigger picture thing. You could say that that fishbowl idea kind of consumed me. And if somebody didn't like me one week, it would ruin my whole week. There would be no... Um, assurance outside of what was happening in my school life and um, I feel like I was completely lost and had to go through this um, 
years and years of unlearning that behavior because everything that I thought was important and everything that I that I thought was my whole world actually just disappeared once I kind of got the papers and walked out the gates and just to quickly contrast this one of my very favorite girls in the world also finished school this week and I'm very proud of her and I'm very emotional but her story and her life could not be more different than mine she is a girl who knows the Lord and loves the Lord And because of that, she seems to have this crazy perspective of life and this incredible ability not to get caught up in the currents and the trends and the fads and whatever kind of happens to people at school. And she just goes through with this incredible steadfastness. And now, you know, now that the stakes are higher and we're out of school and the Bible is telling us to have that the kind of perspective that she has for the rest of our life. Now the stakes are higher, I want to do life like she does it. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and do the same thing as I did in high school, you know, realize that I was putting all of my investment in only the things that I could see. And that is the wrong thing. I don't want to become so invested in the things that my fleshly nature say that isn't important, that I actually get to heaven and realize that I had fishbowl vision all along. And you know, all of us, I think is that that is true for some to some extent. And I think that it is understandable and completely acceptable that we go through life thinking that the things in front of us are the main sources of joy. And, you know, we've got to seek the right things and do the right things and be the right kind of people to be able to experience that joy. But we exist in a lifetime and the scriptures say we exist in this lifetime that the scriptures say is just a mere breath like that. And yet many of us are acting like this is our only show. We let our hearts so easily become entangled in the things of this world. But Paul here is saying, I was the guy. I know what it was like. I had it all. And yet I still count it as loss. And it's only the bigger picture perspective that can release our investment into the present and obey the scriptures when it says to fix our eyes on the things above. And yet the problem that we face is that, like I said, we live in a world and in a culture that constantly pushes us to care about the things in our surroundings and to be focusing on our fleshly desires. And that's the things that we can see and touch and taste and feel. You know, we're self-conscious, we're self-aware, we're self-focused, we're self-indulgent, we're selfish by very nature because sin permeates everything inside us. So for us to say that we want to have this bigger picture life, and not concentrate on the fishbowl in our own flesh is impossible because our heart is truly entangled in our fleshly desires. And instead of leading us to joy, like the whole world might be deceiving us, it's actually distracting or preventing us from experiencing true joy. And I don't think it's a stretch um, to say that I really believe that when you take this world as what it is, And you look at the injustice and the inhumanity and the evil that just permeates everything around us. You can have a look at the state of humanity. And I really believe that there is no such thing as untainted joy in this world without knowing Jesus. There is sin that runs through every single thing. Things are desperately temporary, so fragile, fleeting. But the only thing that remains steadfast is the one who created the earth and the one who came to save us from it. You know, Jesus came to bring light to the darkest of places and bring pure joy to us as people who could never earn it, who could never tick enough boxes and we could never deserve it. 
And so what is the solution for us? Well, I feel like the solution actually lies in this passage. If we look back at verse two and three, we see when Paul says, watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. And that is the Jews who insisted on circumcision. And this circumcision is actually referenced back to the book of Genesis when God made a promise or a covenant with Abraham, you know, and his promise was to give him land and to grant him redemption. And at 99 years old, God promised Abraham that he would have children. And I feel like out of everything, that is a blessing that we cannot understand and we would never expect. And that same covenant is represented by the circumcision of every boy that was a descendant of Abraham. And that is to include them in the promise and include them for redemption and favor and descendants and all of these things. But here, Paul is saying that we, that is the followers of Jesus, are the circumcision. And that doesn't mean that we need the circumcision or we should seek the circumcision. He's saying we are the circumcision. And that means that rather than cutting off a small part of flesh, the promise that God gave us in Jesus is a cutting off of our fleshly nature. In Colossians 2 verse 11, the scriptures say that through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, read that as not us, because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. And we can cut off our fleshly nature because Jesus was cut off from the Father first to pay the price for us. So we can be made one with him in righteousness and like Paul concludes this passage with, so that we would be able to know the power of his resurrection in our own life. And I really believe that for all of us, for Northeast and for the greater church, I really believe that the Lord wants us to have lives in this lifetime to enjoy. But I also believe that he is the only one with the power to see the bigger picture. He has the ultimate hindsight. He has foresight. He has a perspective that we could never fathom, nor are we designed to fathom it. He knows that we cannot truly experience real joy if our hearts are entangled in the things of this world. He knows the danger of investing our heart into the things of this world. And so when we're tempted to do as the world tells us and follow our heart and seek joy in every moment, as the world kind of so poetically puts it, we remember that Jesus says, instead of following your heart, Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false, false witness, and slander. And truly, I think if you look around at the condition of the world, too many of us have been following our heart. And this is the condition in which we live now. And in Jeremiah, the scriptures say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so when the, world, when the things of this world change every day, when the condition of our hearts change every way, there is no safe investment in this world to put your hope for your joy and expect a return of joy that surpasses understanding and joy that surpasses circumstance and joy that is more than an emotion or a feeling or a choice, a joy that is a gift. All these things fade away. People change, health deteriorates, lives end, wars start and pandemics hit. And yet only Jesus 
is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says in John 14 verse 1, he said, Let your heart not be troubled, but believe in God and believe in me also. And that is our final exhortation, church. That's our final to-do list. We believe with our hearts and we profess with our our mouth. We believe with our hearts and profess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe that we have been saved. We believe that there is more to the eye than this life that is but a breath. And when we put our faith in him and when we believe that Jesus did truly look at us, decide we're worthy, decide we're valuable, went to the cross and suffered the worst fate to redeem us and to um resurrect our life and bring us back together with the father that is where incomparable joy and paul only has the fleeting moment or just a fraction of feeling that joy and he says that every other good thing i experience in life is filth compared to the feeling of being redeemed and known and resurrected by christ jesus so when we put our faith in jesus and when we make a commitment to learn more about him and more of him We are counting the fleeting joys of this earth as loss and we are investing our heart in the name above all names. So church, would you let me pray for you as we close? God, I am so thankful that in a time where the world seems dark and darker than many of us have ever seen it before, you uh, look darkness in the eye, God, and you bring light to it. And you are the light of the world, as your scriptures say, Lord. And I just pray that you would be able to, as we open our hearts to you, Lord, bring light into our heart and bring incomparable joy that we have been searching for in this world, Lord. And that each of us, God, who take that step of faith to um, trust you and believe you, that you would be able to show us in such a tangible way to taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray that you would just um, outpour your joy in um, as a rushing waterfall into each of our hearts, God, and that we would be transformed and that joy would illuminate from us, God, and that each of us individually would just be lit up as the church and that this church would just cause a revival across this uh, city and across this nation and across this world, Lord, that this would be a time where the church has joy that the world cannot find and that Christians will stop settling for imitation brands of the joy that only you offer, God, the joy that is a gift that we could never pay for and we could never earn, God, but you freely give it. So, God, I pray that as um, as we have this pure joy and this incomparable joy and this bigger perspective, this bigger picture perspective, you would just let the church stand up as the light of the world god that we would see people saved today that we would see people transformed today in this season where church is changed and we are kept from meeting with one another god you would use this for good beyond our expectations beyond what we could hope for lord and we would see revival in uh places where we were not seeing the spirit of God move. We would see miracles. We would see healings. We would see restorations of family and transformations of marriages, God. And we would see all of these things, not trusting in our own box checking, not trusting in our own uh, earning of, but only, only you and only your grace and only your saving name, God, the name above all names. We pray in it of Jesus and we love you, Lord. Amen.